After fighting and coaching his way through a storied 47-year professional hockey career, Mike Melbury's gloves are again off for his next chapter as a radio host. Talking about the NHL, the Boston Bruins, and the hockey world at large. Brought to you by Ketchis Law. Since 1986, they've had the backs of every hardworking tradesman in New England who finds themselves injured on the work site. You pay nothing unless they win. So get your free consultation today at catcheslaw.com or by calling 508-321-7000. You're listening to Gloves Off Hockey. Here's your host, Mike Milbury. Well, hello, Ben. How are you today? Doing well, brother. How about yourself? I hope you enjoyed All-Star Weekend. I didn't. I don't like the All-Star game. <laughs> I didn't either. What are they doing dunking Crosby and McDavid? Like, what is that? What is that what we're reduced to? Do you think they'd ever dunk Gretzky or Messi or Howe or any of those guys? be an act of war in some cases. Oh, yeah, what? <laughs> you can't do that. And you know what? I love David Postanaki. I love his spirit. I love everything about his goal scoring. But leave the comedy to Adam Sandler. Agreed. You're no happy Gilmore, right? Oh, yeah. I was I was scratching my head out there trying to figure out what on earth I was watching for a few moments. Yeah, well, we're just watching junk. We're watching the league try to become uh, more of a circus act than a great sporting event that it should be. And, you know, I, I don't, I'm not buying any of it. But, but what I am buying is the Bruins' depth is going to be challenged as they approach this hellacious schedule for the end of the year. They finally come back to work tomorrow. They go to practice be interesting to get a survey of where everybody had gone to for those seven or eight days that they had off, right? Private planes to Aruba, maybe, Ben? Yeah, maybe Kokomo, Key Lago. You never know. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to waste a lot of our time. I'm just going to say, I'm not that we're wasting time. We're spending good time together. The Bruins need as much depth as they can afford going forward, given the schedule. It's going to be very interesting to, to see what Don Sweeney does. Uh, that's my first point. My second point is, I hear it's getting close on David Postonok. I hope that's the truth. Uh, and without further ado, we're going to take a quick break and get back to our special guest, John Walton, who's the voice of the Washington Capitals and a friend of mine. We're going to talk all things Washington Capitals and then some. So we'll be right back. I guess this segment is John Walton, voice of the Washington Capitals. And, you know, it's been a while john but uh it's we've used to work together a little bit and you've gone your own way and now you're on a vacation right yeah a little bit of vacation it's nice to have the bye week mike and great to see you too uh we've had a chance to get away with the capitals on the bye week which i think is the greatest thing the nhl has ever done you got the all-star game you got the bye week and you got a chance to unwind a little bit before getting ready for the stretch run so yeah back in the day uh working together and now uh really nice to be able to chat hockey with you again i miss doing this uh you know it's um the break is great for the players but i've been watching the some of the team's schedule including the bruins who come back and have i think 62 days left in their season and they play 31 games that's, I mean, that is, that's tough duty. And the Caps must play a similar type schedule, right? Well, for the most part, the game in Boston on Saturday starts at two and two, uh, going home on Sunday afternoon to see San Jose and a grueling week. Although it's every other day, the Capitals had played more games than any other team up until about a week ago. 
So it probably isn't quite as intense, uh, 53 games in the books, and, and they go barreling down the stretch. But with a, a tough first five, because Boston, as good as they've been, San Jose, who's been playing while the Capitals have not been, two games with Carolina, and then one game with Florida, who's playing a lot better lately. So uh, the Caps right now, as we talk, are in a playoff spot. Uh, by the time you get to the weekend, it may not be that way, and they won't have even played a game. So it's going to be real interesting to see how they do between now and, say, around the 1st of March, if they're still hanging a playoff spot or not. But before we get to the Caps, um, your thoughts on the All-Star game? Did you, did you spend some time watching it, or did you just have a beer and relax? I'm going to be honest with you. I was kind of along the line of the John Tortorella school of the All-Star game. I, I, you know, I, 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 it's great for the fans. I think for all of us that, you know, live and breathe it seven days and, and go into morning skates and go into practices and traveling all that we do, uh, it is nice to unplug. So uh, I must say that I did sneak in a little bit of the Van- or the Edmonton-Detroit game last night uh, while here in Vancouver on vacation, but that's about the closest that I've seen since I left Washington. All right, let's get to the Caps. Really difficult start of the season, correct? And they, you know, understandably without some of their key players, but they got the ship straightened out. How did they do that? Well, I, the month of December was an amazing run uh, and I think going into it was December 5th in Edmonton in the middle of the team's longest road trip of the season they'd been beat around in Calgary they had lost in Seattle they'd gotten smoked in New Jersey they lost three or four on the trip and it looked like the season was coming apart because they only won five games in October they only won five games in November and now the beginning of December looks even worse and you're thinking this season's slipping away and then on top of it, Darcy Kemper got hurt in Calgary and Charlie Lindgren came in. So now you're with, without your number one goaltender. You still don't have Tom Wilson. You still don't have Nick Backstrom. And Charlie Lindgren backstopped him to what turned out to be an 11-2-2 month of December. Uh, it was a brilliant month. They got scoring from a lot of different places. They were scoring at five on five. The power play was going well. Most of those things have not gone as well in January uh, and now into February as they get started where they ended up winning six games in January. But the last one was uh, a win in Columbus that sure looked like it was slipping away against the, the league's worst team. And, you know, I don't think anybody was very happy if you ask them in the dressing room. I don't think it went very well for anyone in the month of January. They got to be better, Mike, if they're not in February. Uh, they're in real danger of falling to ninth or 10th place with all the teams that are playing much better right now, the Floridas, uh, the Islanders with Bo Horvat. So uh, I think they've got to really come out of this break in a much better place than they were for a lot of the month of January. What have you seen from, you know, a lot of people have talked to me about Nick Backstrom. You know what a great player he's been over the course of his career. But this thing with his hip injuries, it's not, it's not a one-time thing. It's a several-time thing. Have you noticed a difference in his game, particularly in his skating, since he's come back? Has it, has it impacted him at all? I know it's not been a long time, but, you know, I look at the stats, the number of games played, and it's not Backstrom-esque. Yeah, I think it's been a slower ride back, which is not at all unusual given the magnitude of the surgery. But, you know, the hands are still there, and I think that 
you know, what he is. He, I don't, he's never going to be the guy that he was. But I, I think that when you've got the hands that he does and it's still evident on, you know, some of the looks that he's gotten assists on, I, I think there's still a, a contribution to be made. He's not going to be your number one center anymore. Uh, but, you know, in a two, three role, you know, now that Dylan Strome is locked under contract for a long time, I think they see him as sliding into a, you know, a two, three center for this team for a while. You know, Nicky probably as long as he's pain free and he, he is, and that's the best part. I mean, even from a life perspective, I think he's still going to be someone who can contribute. It's just not going to be in the same way that he has, but it's nice to see him back out there. I'll say that. And, and with Tom Wilson, you know, and again, even he's back out again, we're not quite sure his status going to the Boston game on Saturday, but uh, you know, getting them in a lineup, the caps are a much better team with them than they are without them. Yeah, well, tell me about Tom Wilson. He's played some. Does he, does he backtrack on his health? Well, he took a puck off of the skin off of the boot. It, it's not a, you know, he had the, the ACL and, and that, took a long time to come back that's fine this is something separate where uh he took a shot off the foot at home a couple of weeks ago and you know he ended up missing the last couple of games before the break and you know it didn't sound like it was anything they were overly concerned about the caps are usually very tight-lipped on injuries even more than most teams um you know they're calling it day to day but we haven't seen him for the last couple of weeks and you know, I think we're all hoping that uh, the break time and being away for the better part of 10 days that he comes back and, you know, if he's able to take part in practice fully when the Caps hit the ice tomorrow, then I think we'll have a much better idea. But they need him. I mean, Mike, you know what he means to this team and what, you know, the deterrent that he is. And, you know, there's a lot of things that don't happen when he's out there that, you know, other teams could take a liberty or two when the caps aren't the caps aren't as big when he's not in the lineup. And you know, I think that's the hope that you know you get him for the stretch run. You're going to need him, and you got to have what he brings to the table. He he's, I won't say he's unique, but he's close to it now. That just don't make him like him anymore in the league. You just don't see the guy that has that kind of skill level, but but has that toughness and size that he brings. I mean, you talk about a deterrent. That's, that's an underestimation of his abilities, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, he, he talks the talk when he's out there. I mean, when we used to have the between the benches position for radio, I mean, we would pick up all sorts of things down there that, you know, you're not crossing our guys tonight. You're not saying that you're not doing this. I, you know, and uh, just the physical mass. I mean, he, his penalty minutes, Mike, I think he only had like 44 penalty minutes last year. You know, it's almost by reputation. He doesn't have to do anything anymore. You'll rarely see him fight. Uh, and when you do, it usually would be in a home game. Very rarely do you see it on the road. But he will if he has to. Uh, and, you know, there's still a few guys out there that may be willing to go. But uh, that's a that's a rarity, as you know. So, uh, But just the fact that he's out there and uh, can scare the hell out of a few people, that's usually yeah. enough. Yeah, you know, there were plenty of tough guys around when I played, but I knew the ones to stay away from, and he would be one that I would stay away from for all intents and purposes. So, But what's up with John Carlson? Any update on him? Long term and everything that we're hearing, I, I don't know if he gets into a regular season game. He he took the puck off the helmet, off the head, um, and I just I know that it's a very slow return to action. We were told – Right before the All-Star break, uh, he came out and skated, but only in the sweatsuit. 
And we were told at the same time that this is a long-term thing and this is not something, this is not, don't take it as a sign that he's inching all that much closer. It was a very small step uh, in coming back, which I think reading the tea leaves, I don't know that we're going to see him in a regular season game. If we do, it's not going to be until the very, very end of the season. And I know that the Caps play in uh, Boston in the last week, maybe, maybe against the Bruins or the Devils in the last two games of the season. But I don't know that we're going to see him before then, which kills his team on the power play. He's He does so much and he logs so much time. You know, I think Peter Laviolette's done a pretty good job with juggling what he's got, but you're not replacing a guy like that on the back end. And they're just going to have to make do with it, I think. And they may, if they decide that they're buyers and sellers, and that is very much up in the air, I think, with this team right now. Uh, if they're buyers, that may be something that they're looking at, someone who can eat some minutes on the back end. Yeah, I mean, when you delete John Carlson from the lineup, the rest of the defensive grouping is not overwhelming. There's a lot of older guys, a lot of sort of not that there's nothing wrong with being a journeyman player in the league, but if you're going to go places, you need the John Carlson's of the world. And this, this is a, a major blow to them. Can they, can they limp in with a defense like this? I think they can. I, I mean, I think this month is going to tell a lot. I talked to Brian McClellan for an interview a couple of weeks ago, and he made pretty clear that they are not – I wouldn't look for the Caps to jump in the trade pool early, uh, like some have, like the Islanders in getting Bill Horvat and, and ha- what have you. The Caps are going to wait until the absolute last minute to decide if they are buyers or they are sellers. And I think that's in large part because – they're going to have to make do with what they've got for now. And that means Eric Gustafson and Dmitry Orlov and Nick Jensen on the back end and guys who are fine. Uh, Martin Ferrari is, I think, going to be a minute eater on this team, but he's still young and, you know, I think is progressing fine. But they don't have that number one right now. And you're right. They're going to have to kind of limp in or in this case limp to the trade deadline. And are you in seventh place and holding on to the first wild card and and playing well, okay, this team's by their buyers. Uh, is this team in 11th place at the end of February because they've got two games with Carolina, one with Florida, they've got a West Coast trip they still have to do the first week of March, which falls during the trade deadline for them. I, they may be sellers because they've got – everybody's a free agent on the back end except Carlson on defense. And there would be a market – Really, problem. every one of them? Every, every one of them? Everybody. Everybody in the top six – Ferravari is an RFA. He's not going anywhere. I'm sure he's under club control. He'll stay. But Jensen is a UFA. Orlov is a UFA. Gustafson is a UFA. So if you decide, if you're Brian McClellan, uh, you could restock the cupboard pretty quickly if you chose to go that route. And you've only got 12 guys total under contract for next year. So if you say, listen, this isn't the year, uh, and better to miss and sell and reload and have $20, 25000000 million to play with in July, uh, they could do that. Uh, I think that's, you know, if they've got the tools, if they're in a spot, they're going to go for it. But if they're not, uh, Brian McClellan is not going to push it. And I, and I think that's the prudent way of looking at it. That's interesting. That puts a lot of pressure on the general manager you know, when he's got to wait to the last minute to see where his team is. And then if he decides he's a seller, you know, he, he may, may be late to the uh, late to the party. 
yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly right. I mean, you if you're waiting until March one or March two and deciding where you are, I uh, you know, and you may have some idea before that if this team comes out of the break and wins four or five against good competition and they're they hold off Pittsburgh and they're chasing the Rangers for third place, then okay, well then you're probably going to buy. And I think you're looking at you know, is a uh, Jacob Chikrin available? And are you in that market? Maybe you are. Maybe that's something they look at. Uh, you know, that could be a very nice answer for a John Carlson if uh, if you can get him into the boat. But, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing I think Washington's looking at right now. Uh, very different place from where they've been the last few years where they've been among the very best in the league. Now they are hopefully a playoff team, but there's a lot of good teams in the East, that are, including Boston, uh, that are out in front of them. Well, give me, you, you mentioned Charlie Lindgren having a good run. Darcy Kempfer, I assume he's ready to go again. They're going to have to be outstanding during this month of February, are they not? And, and is, it, is it Lindgren or is it going to be a split between the two guys? Or, I mean, I, I thought Kemper last year was won a Stanley Cup, but I don't, I don't think anybody kids themselves for a second thinking that Darcy Kemper was a big reason that they won. He was, he didn't do anything to hurt their chances, I guess you could say, but I mean, they did win it, but I, I guess I don't count myself among the believers, but he's got a chance to establish himself this month, does he not, if, if he wants to be considered the kind of guy you can hang your hat on? I don't think there's any doubt that if the Capitals are to not only get in the playoffs but make any noise at all once they get there, they're going to need a goalie to steal them a steering. And that's who they are at this point. And – Kemper leads the NHL in shutouts. He's had some very, very good outings for this team. He's It was a little bit rougher in the last couple of weeks leading up to the break. It's been mostly his show since uh, he came back at the end of December. Uh, Lindgren got them through December. I, Charlie is just – he's such a good guy in the room, and the guys love him. And he had, he didn't have a whole lot of NHL experience now. He's even including this season. He's only got 50 games. But right. Really nice cup of coffee or two with St. Louis. He had some ups and downs in Montreal. Uh, but he's he's been a great fit. And I think for Darcy, he's a big guy who's a veteran presence who they really, you know, has fit in very well with this group. Um, and, and I think has been very good. I, I think he's been everything they could have hoped for, uh, save the injury, which he couldn't have helped. He was out for December. But uh, you know, if the save percentage is there, uh, everything he's he's been has been pretty good. But you're right. I mean, you've got to have either whether it's Darcy or whether it's Charlie who at, at the time when the time comes, they're going to have to steal you a game or two because the Caps just aren't don't have the foot speed that a Carolina does or even the Rangers do. Uh, you know, the matchup with Boston, I don't hate as good as the Bruins have been. I mean, I think the Bruins are kind of in that same place. Uh, that the Caps are, where they've been good for a long time. You've got an older veteran roster. I, I think that, you know, if it ends up being a one versus eight, Boston-Washington, I, I don't know that I – I don't hate that matchup. Uh, but, you know, the Bruins have had such a good year. Right? That's – you know, we'll get a little bit more taste of where they are, uh, I guess, it comes Saturday afternoon. Yeah, we, you know, we've been chatting for 15 minutes or so about the Washington Capitals, and we haven't once named – the name of Alex Ovechkin. I mean, he should have been first on the table. Um, he's still playing at an incredibly high level, is he not? I haven't watched a lot of Caps games, but, you know, he's still pouring in goals. He leads his team in scoring. Um, still seems to have the fire. Is that an accurate read? 
he definitely has the fire. Uh, you know, he doesn't have the, you know, the foot speed and maybe not quite the energy that he had when he was in his twenties and hitting everything. That's it. He still will play physical though. And the month of December, Mike was so much fun because, you know, we were in Chicago when he got to 800 goals and outside of the Stanley cup and, you know, some of the other things I've gotten to do in my career, that might've been the most fun I ever had. It, gets to 800 goals on a hat trick in a visiting building, a great building in Chicago. The fans were so supportive of the effort. Uh, it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And the guys thrived off that. I, a lot of times people have asked me in interviews, you know, was that a distraction around the team? You know, when it's all, you know, it's Ovechkin this, Ovechkin that. I think it helped them. They had their best month of the year in the middle of his chase for 800. And I don't think that's a coincidence because the guys love him, and it was an emotional scene in the locker room afterward there. The guys celebrated him. They gave him the, the beer shower in the room, and Alex has given interviews uh, across the board to everybody, all the media entities that were there. And it was – I think it lifted this team's spirits at a time that they needed it because the first two months of the season, they weren't very good. And I think it was a lot of fun. It was for me. It was a ton of fun to be a part of, but I think it was a lot of fun for the guys too. Uh, and, you know, once that chase kind of faded a little bit, and, you know, now we've gotten into January, we've seen them regress. Hopefully they are able to rebound. But I think it fed this team through through December, and he's still got it. He's still got that shot, and he still can terrify a goaltender anytime he's got the puck. Yeah, you know, um, I took a lot of heat when I criticized him early in his career because I thought he could have been a more well-rounded player. And I think, I think, I think Barry Trotz – Deserves a lot of credit for changing his game. He didn't teach him how to shoot. He didn't teach him how to hit. He didn't teach him how to play with passion. But wouldn't you say he refined his game? I think he has evolved over time from the the brash young kid who just fires the puck and hits people to being a leader, uh, to being uh, someone who is, uh, you know, will pl do what it takes to win. I think what you, Barry Trotz, absolutely, yes. And I think winning in 2018, when he saw when they it laid out for them in that glorious spring of 2018, this is what it takes to win. I, I think that even though the Caps haven't had a lot of playoff success since then, I think you've seen that in his game. That's carried over for the last five seasons for sure. And yeah, I, I think that who he is and who he's become. Uh, and now, I mean, as a dad and at the All-Star game, I did see, I didn't see the game, but I did see the, the all the clips of all of the, uh, you know, with his son out there and, you know, passing with Crosby and all of that. It just, I think we're seeing continue that evolution of him as, as an individual, uh, as a team, as a captain, as a leader, as a father. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch. Have you, have you talked to him at all? Or has he mentioned at all this chase for Gretzky? He doesn't like talking about it that much. I think he's certainly cognizant of it and it's something that obviously he wants uh anytime that he's asked especially leading up to things like 800 and 802 and passing Gordy and all of that he's he's appreciative of those things but he doesn't like talking about it very much he'll usually defer pretty quickly he he loves talking about Nikki or he loves talking about his teammates or 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 team things uh, not as much. I mean, I think we all know what it means to him to be number one. Uh, Wayne Gretzky has been tremendously gracious with his comments, and no surprise there. 
um, and, and the Howe family, Mark and Marty, were on the air with me. Uh, the, the, the game before he got to 802, we had Detroit in town. And I was hoping that if he was going to be able to tie Gordy Howe to do it with Mark and Marty on the air with me, I was hoping, but it didn't quite work <laughs> out. But, uh, but they were there, and they've been incredible through this whole run, too. It's just the, the hockey community has been so supportive of the effort. I know he does appreciate that. And you head into Boston a little while, uh, uh, and you've seen the Bruins a bit. Are you as surprised as everybody else at how this has gone for Boston? I am, truthfully. Uh, I thought Boston at the beginning of the season, I, I had them as a playoff team, but I had them in the same grouping as Pittsburgh and Washington, that they're a good team, they're an older team, uh, they have a lot of guys I like. I, I love Marshawn as a player. I always will. I just what he brings and and just just the rink rat mentality. I I, I think that that is invaluable. But I thought they were six, seven, eight. I, I really did. I and the fact that what Jim Montgomery has done there is extraordinary. And I think they've obviously become a more offensive team. Uh, the goaltending, my goodness! <laughs> I, I when I we saw Swayman's, I think Swayman's second NHL game was against Washington, and I, I liked his size. I, I saw a lot of potential there, but I saw Olmark and Buffalo, and I, the Bruins obviously saw something in him uh, that there was a lot more to give. I think they were he was you know highly touted, but the Sabers were not a good team, obviously back then. And now to have that tandem and, and the confidence that the team obviously has playing in front of those guys. It's extraordinary. I, 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 they're obviously one of the best teams in the East and, and the best team right now in terms of record in the NHL. So uh, going to be an interesting game for uh, the Caps coming out of the break and facing that. But, uh, yeah, I, I think the Bruins are going to be a force to be uh, reckoned with. I think Carolina is, you know, I'm interested to see those Boston-Carolina matchups, if there are any down the stretch, as fast a skating team as that is. I think that's going to tell a lot, but you know, tip tip of the cap to the Bruins because my goodness, I I did not have them in this position uh, going back to training camp. Um, taking to get you off the hook, taking your Washington Capitals off the list. Who would you see coming out of the East, and who comes out of the West? <sighs> Seen just about everybody now. So, and I, the only team that, had, that the Caps haven't played is Anaheim, and I'm pretty sure I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Uh, you know what? Carolina has a lot of team speed, and and I I feel like as long as they have the goaltending, I feel like it's Carolina's to lose. I I only say that, and I'm gonna I put a little asterisk by that because if for some reason we all know what the matchup is in the two three out of the Atlantic already, we know it's Tampa Bay and Toronto, and if Toronto were to win that series, if they ever got any momentum and got out of the first round, I think Toronto is Washington 2018 waiting to happen. I think that that team, if they can just get over that hump, the Capitals had to beat Pittsburgh. And until they did, they weren't ever getting out of the second round. When they did, they went on and won the whole thing. Obviously Boston is a big demon for that franchise too. Uh, but if it lined up that they beat Tampa and they got Boston I I think Toronto has a real chance. If they're ever going to do it, I think it's now. I, it's tough for me to look at Tampa Bay and say, ah, their time has passed because Vasilevsky is so good. Uh, I But if I had to say one team, I would probably say Carolina just because of their speed and just banking on the fact that they got the goaltending when they needed it. 
Uh, we're going to get a big dose of that next week. We see him twice next week, including in the stadium series game outside. So um, I might have a better idea next week. But right here in this moment, I, I think Carolina's the team to beat. Okay, that's one conference down. What about the other one? In the West, I, I'm not that impressed with Edmonton. I know their power play is on another planet right now and playing really well, and McDavid is the best player in the game right now. Can they not find the answer to their goaltending problems? I Campbell has been okay, but you're right. I mean, that's, I don't know that he's the guy and I just, I don't like them on the back end as much. They're a one line team and I just don't see, I don't see that being the answer. I don't, I, I, Vegas has been all right. Uh, they tuned the caps up when we were there a few weeks ago, but that was one of the few wins they've had in the last 10. And they just, I don't feel like they're getting it right there. I just keep coming back to Colorado and for as bad a first half as they had and all the injuries, Kale McCarr is just an unbelievable player. And I think their goaltending like last year uh, was enough. I think their goaltending is enough this year too. And they score so many goals and Nathan McKinnon is such in just the prime, the absolute prime of his career right now. I, a Colorado Carolina, if I was going to take it right now, and I said, you got to pick the final right now, I'm going Colorado goes back. And I think this time they face the Carolina Hurricanes. Well, that's interesting. Well, I know you're in uh, Vancouver today, one of my favorite cities, by the way. It's just a lovely place to to get to. But um, they're mired in a mess. They trade away their best player, probably, Bo Horvat. How do you do that and face your fans? And and you're it's one of the tough media towns in the in the NHL. Uh, how's it going for Vancouver right now? It's not great. Uh, the the coaching staff. Uh, I, I feel bad for Rick Tockett because I, I think he was put into a no win situation when you had a popular head coach who got off to a bad start and the. You know, the press conference, I, I, I'm still amazed at how that went down. That, I mean, I, I think fans realize on some level that, you know, when a coaching change is made, the general manager didn't just wake up that morning and said, yep, today's the day we're going to do this. There's a lot of moving parts behind the scenes when that happens. And, and you know that better than I do, Mike. But the, the way that it played out so publicly here and, and leaving Bruce Boudreaux out on the out on the end of the dock and you know leaving them to wave in the wind I think was a big misstep by this franchise and you know I I think it makes it really hard on the next coach to come in because listen I mean if you feel like a change needs to be made I mean the general manager knows that better than anybody but you better do it quietly and you better not do it in a way that you know I mean you've got a a coach leaving and, and hugging players and crying on the way out I mean it just was this emotional upheaval and a complete unforced error I I just I, I can't believe how it went down. And then the Horvat trade, Brock Bester's going to be the next one out the door. I think every the sense here is that's going to happen too. And, you know, I don't know how – you're right. I don't know how you face the fans. When you trade a guy like Horvat, Bester's had his ups and downs here. But, I mean, you're you're trying to get to where. I mean, you've got teams that, you know, have been able to make it work for 15 years. And this team had a lot of good players come through here. This team should be better. And for whatever reason, they just haven't been well, John, I know you're traveling today, so I won't keep you any longer. I really appreciate your time and your insight, and uh, good luck to you and the Caps down the stretch, and have fun with it. Well, Mike, thanks very much. Always appreciate talking to you and always loved working with you at any time. Always glad to chat pucks with you.
All right. Take care, my friend. Right back into it here on Gloves Off Hockey, right here on 1510 WMEX. It's your friend Ben, alongside with your host with the most. It's Mike Milbury. Mike, that was a great interview there. Yeah, John's a, a good guy and a well-versed guy, certainly when it comes to the Caps, but uh, interesting take on who would make the conference final. My next, next guest is a, a man of many talents, a prolific goal scorer as a player, a member of the United States Hockey Hall of Fame, uh, a broadcaster for NBC and the Chicago Blackhawks, now for Seattle and TNT, and an elite-level horse handicapper, which we'll talk about for a little while. Eddie Olchuk, you with me? <laughs> What's up, Mikey? Ben, nice to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Mikey, hope you're doing well, pal. Always great to talk to you. Yeah, thanks, Edzo. Um, and speaking of Edzo, I was looking you up and doing some research on you today, and it said that Mike Lane gave you the nickname Edzo. How'd that come about? Uh, actually, you know what? Actually, uh, it was it was Kevin Stevens, actually. Uh, when I was playing in L.A., uh, back in 96, uh, our paths had never crossed up until that point. And uh, I was rooming with uh, with a man known as Artie, and he gave me the name. And, and since then, it's uh, pretty much <laughs> pretty much along with a couple of other names that we can't, <laughs> can't say right now. So but, I... uh, yeah, it went to another level when I ended up in Pittsburgh, obviously, and, and working with the great Mike Lang. But uh, primary assist goes to... Uh, the man I know is Arthur <laughs> Louise, Kevin Stevens. Well, um, where are you today? You Are you doing a game for TNT? You're in Dallas tonight, I am. is that right? I'm in Dallas tonight. we got uh, Minnesota, Dallas tonight on TNT. It's obviously a huge game because the Western Conference in particular, uh, I think it's Colorado and everybody else, Mikey. Uh, that's kind of where I see this thing going. And look at, uh, you know, Dallas has obviously built themselves, a, a, you know, a, a nice cushion here in the central and in, in, you know, in, in, in the Western conference. But at the end of the day, uh, the Minnesota wild, I mean, they, they've got a, they've got a tough schedule. I mean, they, they have Vegas tomorrow night sitting back in St. Paul for them. And, you know, the travel after the game here in Dallas, they're not going to get back to St. Paul probably until after two thirty tonight. And then you got a team that's well rested, ready to go with a huge win in Nashville last night. So yeah, our game tonight, uh, should be a real good one and you got you know obviously a couple of teams that have you know a history to get you know together and against each other so it should be a lot of fun and a good atmosphere here in american airlines center so i spoke to doc emmerich today your old partner and he yeah. he told me that he hated the all-star game he wouldn't watch it <laughs> i spoke to john walton of the caps earlier he was on vacation he didn't watch it I didn't watch it. I saw the clips of Crosby and McDavid getting dunked and, and David yeah. Postonok playing Happy Gilmore. My advice to him was let Adam Sandler be Happy Gilmore. Here, here. Is it is it worth it? Is the game worth well, it? You, well, look, at, look, I think we're getting to a point now where, you know, we either have to go all the way back and have the game really have some uh, some meaning, Mikey, or you know what? you, you got to figure out another way to really kind of captivate everybody. And I look at, I know they've tried and they went from the five on five to three on three. And then, you know, now you're doing all kinds of events where you're incorporating the, you know, the backdrops or uh, gadgets and, you know, wherever you might be. But uh, it is, as you know, look, at, I, I think at the end of the day, let's, let's call it what it is. I mean, it is an exhibition. 
and it's about one thing and it's about it's about money i mean that that's what it is exactly about and whether it's for the local economy this year happened to be in sunrise or going you know going to original six city in toronto next year uh there is a lot of uh, there is a lot of powder at stake and i think that's what we have to accept it for and look at i think the league has tried to you know do some different things and and you know maybe catch a different generation of uh, of a person growing up but uh you know yeah I, I think when you're working it as we did for so many years at nbc uh you know like it it it, it was tough and i don't know where it went wrong like i don't know where all of a sudden my that the all-star game became where guys wanted to not go and not show up and get the time off and and uh, not represent their team or their city or, or what have you and then all of a sudden, it just seemed like it got this momentum down a down a hill, and next thing you know, we're doing three on three, and we're putting a million dollars up on the line, and and it's it's where we are. So, from the league's point of view, I think they've tried everything that they possibly could, and uh, but let's all remember it's an exhibition, and it's about one thing, and it's about, it's about celebrating cash, the game and, and the is, money. The, yeah, but that to me, like right now, the Bruins have sixty-two starting on the on this Saturday. They right. have 62 days left on the schedule. Right. And in that time frame, they play 31 games. And mm-hmm. they, have been, they have been off for nine days. Sure. Sprinkling that, that time off in between, ignoring the All-Star game and having an exhibition at the start of the season or just after sure. the season, it doesn't make sense to cram. We're, we're, you know and I know we both play too many games. The league plays too many games, but it's, again, about the cash. The players right. don't want to take less. The, the owners don't want to take less. So we're stuck with 82 games, but taking nine days out of the schedule for the week off by or whatever they call it and, and then yeah. the All-Star break, it just makes it hellacious. Yeah, no, look, it's not. you're right. It's, it's not easy. It's, it's, it's hard on the schedule as you know, is hard on, on everybody. And again, does the, you know, uh, does the product suffer at some point? I mean, we know it's about wins and losses, but, you know, does the product suffer because of that? And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, do you just go to divisional play and stay in your conference and play more games there where they're more meaningful and maybe you don't see the Western teams come east as much or vice versa. I mean, all that you sat in the most important meetings with the, the hats that you wore, Mike, for so many years in the league. So you would know that better. But I, I just think that it's a great point where, you know, could those days be allocated a little bit more friendly, uh, not only to, you know, the, the teams, but to the athletes there and, and, and maybe get a couple of more three-day breaks over the course of the season than maybe taking them all at once and then having a team have to play you know, pretty much every other day for, you know, for the rest of the season. But, hey, look, if you're the Bruins, you got, you got a nice little cushion here. So um, we'll see if there's any load management going on with the Bruins as, uh, as they move forward. So let's get to your Seattle Kraken. Um, did you see this jump in product productivity coming from this team? I, did, I, I think it surprised most of us. At least it surprised yeah. me. Yeah, um, I, I look at. I don't think that I saw a team that's on pace for 103 points right now. I kind of thought, Mikey. Honestly, I thought I picked them up as a late 80, 88, 89. Uh, if things went really well, maybe you know a low 90 point team. And again, they only had six points all of last year. And, and there seems to have been a 
I don't know what the proper word is, but a lot of the talk the first 35, 40 games into the regular season was, you know, how's this team doing? It's the same team as last year. Well, let's let's put on the brakes and let's let's get the Heisman post uh, pose out now. It is not the same team that Ronnie Francis had last year. Uh, they lost uh, Jaden Schwartz and Brandon Fanoff, two really important pieces up front for the majority of the season last year. They got Matty Beneers from Michigan. He was their first-ever first-round pick, second overall. He came in for the last 10 games of the regular season. This year, they went out and signed. They traded for Oliver Bjorkstrand. They picked up Andre Burakovsky, who unfortunately got hurt last night. In the first yeah, what's the, the story on him, Edzos? Excuse me, what happened to Burakovsky last night? He just got. He just tried pulling up at the blue line last night on the first shift of uh, of the game for him, and uh, and just was laboring. You know, it was just like one of those where he just tried to stay on side and extended his leg, and and, and that was it. So, uh, you know, obviously, unfortunately for them, because they ended up you know losing to a an Islander team that had played the night before and, and, and what have you. But so now you've added Mikey not, and then go out and pick up Justin Schultz. Got just won a couple of cups on the back end. Martin Jones, who had a very good season in Philadelphia last year for a team that, you know, wasn't very good. So I, I just I just named, you know, like, you know, five, you know, six forwards, one defenseman with a boatload of experience, and it's a way different team. So I just thought, and I think what the way the Kraken were thinking, was we're going to have the puck way more. We're going to be able to outscore some of our problems or our issues. And I'll just say this. Like, I, I know, you know, like when you look around the league, you got Kale McCarr and Devon Tate in, in, uh, in Colorado. You know, you got Lindholm and McAvoy in Boston. You know, you got uh, Fox and Lindgren in, in New York. But the tandem of Vince Dunn and Adam Larson in Seattle has been absolutely just, they've been unbelievable. And they play against any the other team's top offensive guys. They play in every key situation, and if you're going to win in this league and, and league and have success, you got to have some big time back enders. And both those guys have played really, really well. So they can outscore their problems. They check well when they command the middle of the ice and they win the neutral zone. Uh, they look at. I'm not saying I'm surprised, but they certainly have gained a lot of confidence and give Dave Haxtell, head coach, a lot of credit for being able to put them in a spot where they've already got 63 points and they've got another 31 games to go. And right now, the last time I looked, they're tied for first place in the Pacific Division. They're going to be playing meaningful games at the end of March, and I think that's what the franchise wants, franchise want, and I think they're going to get that come late March and early April. Their scoring is, I think, sixth in the league. Yeah. But, but yeah. their power play is 21st. What's up with yeah. that? Well, they did go on a hell of a run, Mikey, early in the year, and they were like they were clipping at ninth or eighth for probably a good six weeks. And then, just like anything else, you know, you go dry, you go two for thirty, and then you go another, you know, you go another five for seventy-five or whatever. Like you're gonna, you're gonna take a hit. Like I, like I don't think again the numbers are what they are, right? We, we understand that, um, but I think that they have. They have, they have been generating. Like, they have been creating. It's not like that they, you know, they don't look like they know what they're doing. Like, they, they know what they're doing. They just have gone a little bit dry here, and it's going to happen. Now, as I said, can you, can you outscore your problem? Yeah, and that's at five-on-five, five because when you look at their numbers 
analytically, and, and we'll take those numbers for what they are, but then the eye test tells you is that, look, if you can be really good five-on-five five and be a top three or five-team five-on-five, and your power play and penalty killing can be a little bit above average, which their power play has been all year. Their penalty killing got off to a, a really brutal start, and they haven't really been able to recover. But here's a team, Mikey, that went on a seven-game road trip, okay? Seven-game road trip. And I'll just tell everybody, look at They started out in Edmonton. They went to Toronto. They went to Montreal. They went to uh, Buffalo. They went to Ottawa. And then they ended up in Boston. And they won every single one of those games and then add Chicago into that mix as well. I forgot Chicago to make it seven. So you think about the places they went into. And in some of those games, Mikey, they gave up one power play goal again, like Edmonton's power play and Toronto's power play. They ended up shutting out the Bruins. But what I'm getting at is that like it's when you kill them and – that's the team to me that I think sent a message to everybody. It's like, look, everybody kind of thought, most people thought they were going to go on that seven-game road trip and maybe get six points, maybe. And they ended up getting 14 of 14. To me, that's a team that uh, knows how to play and knows how to play in some hostile environments. And uh, I think that, that road trip really has bowled them well here for playing some really important games. And uh, they expect to make the playoffs. And, and why shouldn't they with them being in first place right now uh, out in the Pacific. But I, I ask you, now I look at the roster, just start with the Fords. Burkowski, serviceable forward. Eberle seems to be reborn a little bit. Not a an all-star. Jared McCann has 23 goals. Right. Benares looks like he's going to be a hell of a player, maybe rookie of the year. But yeah. then you've got names like Yanni Gord, Ryan Donato, yeah. Oliver Bjorkstern, Jonas Donskoy, Daniel Sprong, Alex Swin- It's not a who's who of no. the greatest players in the league. No, and, no. And, are, and how many of these guys will be around when this team is really ready to challenge for a championship? I wonder if they almost got – Ron Francis did too good a job. <laughs> <laughs> Possible. Well, they've done, they've done a hell of a job, and it's, and it's a point well taken because when you do look at the team, like they are – it is by committee. And, you know, a guy like Daniel Strong, who has bounced around a lot in the National Hockey League here the last five or six years, he's found a, he's found a niche. Uh, they picked up Ellie Tolvanen on waivers from the Nashville Predators and a guy that couldn't even get in the top six. Couldn't even get in the lineup, Mikey, and he couldn't even play in their top six with the players that they have there. You think a guy like that with a team that has been offensively challenged for a long, long time in, in Nashville, he never even got a sniff. And he comes to Seattle, they put him on a power play, you know, he's getting some spot minutes here and there, and all of a sudden, a guy goes on a goal streak where he's got, I think, like eight and you know, 11 games or whatever it is. So, I mean, they've pushed a lot of the right buttons. It is by committee. But you know what? Like, as you know, it's the ultimate team game. And if you've got guys that are accepting and executing their roles, give yourself a chance to win. So, like, I agree with you about Matty Veneers. Like, he's, he's a 200-foot player, might be. Like, he really he gets it. He's not killing a lot of penalties right now, and I think that they're – just kind of trying to work them in here and and let them, you know, just kind of play 50 games in the National Hockey League in his career and then, you know, give them a little bit more. But, you know, he'll be a penalty killer. He'll play in every situation. Uh, so it's been, uh, it's been a hell of a story in Seattle. And, you know, they've got some guys on the back end, starting with Dunn and Larson, as I mentioned, that have done a, 
a really nice job. Yeah, as well. I wanted to dig deep on that. How, Vince Dunn was always a good player in St. Louis. Larson's yeah, been. How, yeah. how did he get? How do these guys go from one team to another, and they look like they were more than serviceable, really good players, sure. and they right. get let go, right. and now they team up together? I read that Larson's plus thirty, which is a yeah. eye popping yeah. number. He wasn't doing yeah, that yeah. in Edmonton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think, you know, I think schematics have a lot to do with it, um, you know, system-wise, and, and maybe in some systems and play, instead of playing a zone or a zone plus one or whatever, and then you go into a man-on-man, like some guys just need to be able to, to relish in that situation. The one thing I will say about Vince Dunn is that, you know, I think last year when Mark Giordano was there, he was the captain, the first ever captain of the Seattle Kraken, Giordano was getting first power play minutes. He was getting first PK minutes. He was out there with Larson in key situations. And Dunn really wasn't getting a lot of a lot of looks, especially on the power play. Well, once they traded Giordano, all of a sudden, then Dunn became the guy to be the number one power play guy. And I think he just gained a lot of confidence, Mikey. And and on that pair with Larson, you know, I mean, Larson's a stay-at-home guy, big physical D, good stick tough as nails, and then Dunn is a puck mover, real, I mean, a really good shot. Like, he's got a really, really good shot. Uh, he's got some bite to him. Like, he's a like he's a sneaky guy. Like, he can drop the gloves, too. So, um, I just think sometimes it's about opportunity and what you do with it, and I think that that pair coming together after the move of Giordano really opened up an opportunity, and I think for especially for Vince Dunn, he got the chance, and he sees the opportunity, and timing is everything, right? His contract's expiring. He's a restricted free agent, and uh, I know the Kraken really think a lot of him and, uh, and uh, the way that he has performed. So, uh, great story, but you got to get the chance. And so when a guy gets the chance, you got to take advantage, and that's what he's been able to do. And you're convinced that Martin Jones is the guy to go with here? Do they have anything in goal coming? Um. Not right now that I know of, but look at Gruber. Look at I mean, Jones has been the guy. There's no doubt about it. But Grubauer has played some really good games. He hasn't got a lot of run support. Like if you look at his games he's played, Mikey, and especially the games he's lost. Look at the look at the uh, you know the goals that his team has scored for. Uh, it's been tough. But like he's had to try to win every game two to one or three to two, which isn't easy. He's played better than his numbers have indicated. So I think for right now they're pretty confident. In both guys, but at the end of the day, just make the routine save one hundred percent of the time, and uh, we'll worry about everything else after the fact. So, Dave Haxtall has kind of a bumpy ride in Philadelphia when he when he becomes head coach. Have you noticed any changes? Is there something different about him? Is he the same guy with just a different group of players? No, uh, I think it's a combination. I think second time around, look at all the guys that have had success. Like you know, this is the guy in the bench. Guys that have had success the second time around, right, as a head coach, whether it was whether it was Bruce Cassidy or, or Craig Berube, uh, Rick Tockett, um, you know, Mike Sullivan. Like, you could go on and on and on and look at guys that got their second opportunity. And some of those guys have won Stanley Cups in their second opportunity or gotten to a cup final and maybe haven't won it. So I think for Dave Haxall, second time around in the league, uh, a little bit more confidence. I think that time in, in Toronto helped him out a lot, Mikey, as far as being an assistant in between the Philly and Seattle job. Ronnie Francis worked with him for with Team Canada a couple of years ago and had a chance to see him work as the head coach over there and just kind of get a chance to, to 
him in and communicate, have some dialogue, and, and that's what it is. It's about relationships, and um, yeah, he's done himself a hell of a job. Him and his staff have done a really good job. They picked up Dave Lowry as an experienced assistant coach. He was in Winnipeg. He took over for Rick, uh, for Paul Maurice when he stepped down last year. He's been a really good, solid addition, right? Old school guy, you know, longtime player, um, stood behind the bench for many years as an assistant and as a head coach uh, interim in Winnipeg. And I think that's been a big, big ad by Ronnie Francis and his staff. So when I say his staff, I got to get a little, I got to give a little love to my middle brother, Ricky Olchek, who's been Ronnie's right hand man for, uh, going on i think almost nine years now since they've been together in carolina and in and uh, and in seattle so uh, we'll give i'll give my brother a little assist but we'll give the uh, the big guy ronnie francis the uh, the uh, the majority of the uh, of the love uh, with the uh, the job that they've been able to do in seattle with everybody else well, let's look, let's ring the bell for them then yeah that's that's all i give my brothers is a little bit of love <laughs> uh, a couple more questions on the western conference what's up with colorado I mean, lose last night in Pittsburgh. Looked like they had the better of the play early on, but yeah. they're still not getting on all cylinders. I know about the injuries, but you just thought they'd yeah. be in a better. They're they're on the playoff bubble right now. Yeah, I, like it, I, I think it's I think it's them, Mikey, and everybody else. I believe that. Like, I believe it's them and everybody else. Like, I, once they're healthy, uh, I think once they get they are, are going to make the playoffs. I mean, I think I think everybody out there in the West would be hoping that they don't, obviously. But, you know, it, it, it's them and everybody else. So I, I'm not I'm not overly concerned because I know that they've had the extensive injuries and, and big guys being out for, for long stretches. But, like, they're, you know, maybe maybe it ends up being a blessing this guys with all the injuries and guys, you know, not playing a whole heck of a lot as much as they normally would. But, um, like, I think that they obviously missed Nazem Kadri without a doubt. Uh, I'd be shocked if Joe Sackett doesn't go out and pick up, uh, you know, another center iceman there to maybe take some of the load off a guy like Kerfoot, who's been pressed into that situation, or JT Comfer, who's been a very serviceable player for a long time. But uh, I'm not over. I'm not overly concerned with uh, with Colorado. I think if they get in, uh, if they get in as a wild card, uh, that would be a really tough pill to swallow for whoever they got to play because. Uh, you know, you get in and you work all year for that playoff position, and all of a sudden you get the Avalanche as a wild card team. Well, uh, that's your, you know, that might be your parting gift, at least in round one, anyway. And that's what uh, Sutter said last season about them, too. If I may, just real quick, because we're uh, coming up in our last couple of minutes, I just want to throw a quick question at you, Enzo, before we go. Sure. Uh, I'm a big fan of the officiating in general. When it's done the way that it's supposed to be done, I guess, technically, it works a lot better. I mean, the officiating this year seems to be a little bit more inconsistent in a lot of key places. Do you think that's uh-huh. something that's going to come up at the meetings over the off season this year? Uh, you know, I, I don't, Mike might be able to talk more on that then just because, you know, he's been involved in those meetings at the higher level of how much the officiating is. I, I know on a daily basis, I'm sure Steve DeLocke, the head of officiating of the National Hockey League, gets calls every night and questions and what have you, but uh, look, we know that mistakes are going to happen. Not going to agree with all the calls. Like on TV, we get to see it in slow wall and watch it over and over again. But I think with all of the calls that are made, and I'm not taking the stand one way or the other. I just want to see him get it right. Like I'm a big believer of look at like, and I know you know whether it's knocking guys sticks out of people's hands or flipping the puck into the crowd when you're not supposed to in your defensive zone. Like I think like I think on that particular like I would like to see that be, be able to be reviewed. 
you know, like I would want to make sure if you're going to make a call like that, it better be right. Um, but look, at they make thousands and thousands and thousands of calls every year. I would say that uh, for the most part, they're pretty darn good at the speed of rate, the rate of speed that the National Hockey League plays at. So, yeah, are there some holes? 100%. Nothing's perfect. Um, but I think that uh, they can always improve on it. And look, at they get rated, they, you know, they get, uh, you know, they get uh, looked at each and every night and, and uh, are graded by the National Hockey League. And then that's how they end up getting to the playoffs and eventually into the Stanley Cup final. So I wouldn't go as far as saying that it's, it's been a cut below of what we've seen in the past. Maybe some more glaring, uh, you know, maybe mistakes or whatever. But again, uh, it's real speed, and uh, I think they do a pretty darn good job overall. It, it'll come up again in the meetings. There's no doubt about it. The, the GMs are the biggest whiners of all time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well said, Edzo. Thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. Great to hear from you. Have a good game in uh, in Dallas tonight, and uh, good luck to your Kraken. Down the stretch run, they've made it very interesting and surprisingly so. So have fun with that, too, and good to chat, my friend. Hey, uh, I look forward to it again, Mikey and Ben. Thanks for having me. Mikey, love you, man. Say hi to Ginger and the kids, and uh, wish you well, and uh, I look forward to seeing you sometime soon. All right, you got it, my friend. Thanks. Take care. Thanks, Enzo. All right, Ben, that'll wrap us up, I guess, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Sounds like a plan, man. Thank you, Mike, for another great episode of Gloves Off Hockey, and you have a fantastic rest of your week, my friend. All right, folks, while you've been listening to WMEX, the party never stops. The music continues right now on 1510 AM. Quincy Boston and Translator W266DQ 101.1 FM in Weymouth.